Thank you all. As I'm sure you already know, we'll be turning today to Matthew, uh, and the chapter is 22, Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. While you're turning there, I'd just like to say I'm very thankful to have the opportunity to bring the word to each and every one of you today. I had a great privilege to, to do that. And it has been a long time since I've been in the Cloverdale Church at one point. So I am very thankful to have this opportunity. So with the word of God open before us, let's read starting at uh, verse 34 and we'll read down to the end of the chapter. Matthew 22, beginning at verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. And so today I would like to take as my main text verses 37 and verse 38. And with the word of God open for us, let us all pray before we get into the message. Our dear Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that you have given to us to gather in your house and to study your word. Lord, I pray that it would be a blessing to each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that you would be with my mouth. Give me the words to say. Lord, I pray that you would guide us all in our lives and help us to love and honor you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us thy grace today and be with us. For, Lord, we pray it in thy son's holy name. Amen. Throughout Jesus' ministry, the scribes, Pharisees, and lawyers, basically all of the religious leaders of that time, repeatedly tried to trip up the Lord Jesus. It was their habit to try and discredit him. On the other hand, it was Jesus' habit to use their attempts at discrediting him to teach his disciples and all those around him, oftentimes by exposing the flaws and the religious leaders of the day. He would turn it around, and they would essentially be caught in their own trap. And this passage before us is no different. In the preceding verses, the Sadducees had come to the Lord Jesus to try and do the same thing. And they attempted to trip up the Lord Jesus regarding the resurrection. But they were silenced. They lost the argument, as it were. The Pharisees then, in the passage that we read, who were at odds against the Sadducees because of a 
differing doctrinal viewpoint attempted to get the upper hand over the Sadducees by winning an argument over the one who had silenced the Sadducees. They tried to get Jesus to give priority to a certain category of the law. Apparently, they thought there, there was a, a hierarchy of importance between the laws. So some took sides as to which was more important. And in this, we see the intent of this Pharisee, which was to draw Jesus into the argument and to take sides and to cause some to oppose and potentially vilify him. Because if Jesus took one side, then they would take the other and uh, cause division if they could. But instead of playing into their game, Jesus exposes their vain religiosity and pride about their self-righteousness because they were puffed up in their strict keeping of the law. And in their vanity, they forgot the underlying reason why they were supposed to keep the law. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5, we see this law that Jesus is speaking of. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. This, therefore, is the law that Jesus was referencing. And evidently, it was one that had been very neglected, seeing the eminence that had been given to all the other laws. They, If you remember back, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day had added to the law and had come up with all sorts of other things that you had to do to observe the law. But they had drifted away from the, the core reason that we should all keep God's commandments. They had drifted away from the most important commandment of all. And what I believe is the primary purpose of all people. Christians and non-Christians included. As the Westminster Catechism says with the first question and answer, man's chief end, which is his purpose, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And the only way that that is going to happen is if we love him fully. But the truth is that we, we don't love him fully. In fact, by our nature, we do the exact opposite. Left to ourselves, we love ourselves and ourselves only. And it is only by, by God coming into our lives and giving us new life that we do anything different. We are like, like magnets that if you place them together, they'll, they'll come together like that. But then if you orient them differently, they'll repel each other. And... I don't know about you if you've ever played around with magnets before, but back when I was a lot younger, we had these really strong rectangular magnets we used for cleaning the inside glass of our fish tanks. And, and what I would do sometimes with the magnets is normally they'll try and go like this, but what I would do is try and reverse them like this. I don't know if you've ever tried that too, but, and I would try and force them together, but they wouldn't. They would repel each other and they would immediately revert back to their original position. And that's oftentimes the way that we are. We naturally magnetize towards loving and serving ourselves rather than towards serving God and others. And this really is the problem 
that pervades all of society because the worldview of most of society is one of humanism where the purpose of each person centers around attaining happiness and comfort for themselves. The sad truth is that this pursuit never truly satisfies. It will leave you empty, as many a rich and famous person will tell you, who have gotten everything they could. And with this culture around us, we must be very careful to keep the love of God as the center of our lives that guides us. And so the truth is that there is only one purpose that anyone could devote themselves to that is truly fulfilling. And that purpose is loving and serving God with all that is within us. And so today I would like to speak on loving God, our principal purpose. Loving God, our principal purpose. And firstly, I would like us to see in this text before us the primacy, the priority of our love for God. If you look back at verse 37 of Matthew 22, the first part says that we are to love the Lord thy God. He is to be our God, and we are to love him. Notice that it does not say that we are to love ourselves. Now, you may think that this is a trivial note, but, but it is essential because much of the culture around us is molded by the idea that the key to living a good life is to be at peace with yourself. And the, the way to do that is to love yourself. You see it all around you with on books and, and billboards. But first of all, most of the time when people say you should love yourself, what they really mean is don't let guilt for your failures and your shortcomings bother you. They reason that to love yourself means to be fine with who you are. And this is anything but loving yourself, because oftentimes there are big changes that need to happen. And leaving the problems as they are will cause immense havoc. Now, there is a right way to love yourself. So I'm not saying that love your, loving yourself is wrong, and I will address that later when I get into verse 39, because it assumes that we will love ourselves. And so there is a right way to, to love ourselves. But, but it is not to love ourselves firstly. And primarily. Secondly, to love yourself and to place your needs and desires before anyone else's is sin. Because it breaks the commandment of loving God and your neighbor. And it leads people to wrong others and break all of God's other commandments. It leads people to set themselves as the God of their lives. The first of the laws given to the Israelites was to have no other gods before them. And what else is setting ourselves as the priority in our lives, but setting self as the God of our lives. And so this inward selfish desire, it leads people to, to forget 
the Sabbath day, to, to break all of God's commandments. It leads people to disobey authority, to, to kill, to commit fornication, and, and to lie, just to name a few. But this mantra of, of loving yourself first and having self as the center of life is essential in our culture, as I've already said. Because think of it. <clears throat> How many times do people talk about what makes them happy? How many books have been written about making yourself happy? How many products are being sold that are tailored for increasing personal comfort? Now, I'm not saying that doing things that make you happy or getting things that increase your comfort are necessarily and arbitrarily wrong. But I am saying that the inordinate and obsessive pursuits of them are wrong. Like when people avoid responsibility for things solely because it is uncomfortable or or pursuing hobbies and, and entertainment, like endless TV shows or hours upon hours of video games, when there is a need for them to be devoting their talents and energies elsewhere. But they won't because what they're doing at the moment makes them happier. And this is the constant temptation around us because the culture is focused on serving themselves. And we have to be very careful to keep the Lord our God as our God and, and to love him. The love of self is what caused all the wars of the ages. It is what causes all the sinful hatred we see all around us. So we have to wonder, why is this so? And I think most of you can already answer that. The reason is that mankind is fallen. Since Adam and Eve's first sin in the garden, man's nature has been bent towards sinning. And it is in mankind's nature to love himself before God. As Jeremiah 17 verse 9 puts it, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So, like, you don't have to teach children to steal from their other siblings or, or to disobey their parents. If anything, you have to teach them not to do that. Like I was saying before with about the magnets, we naturally gravitate towards loving ourselves first. And to love ourselves first is to not have God as the object of our love because it usurps the place that belongs only to God. God should be the primary love in our lives. For the Christian, this is our purpose, that the love of God is primary in our lives. But more than that, this passage shows what the extent of our love of God should be. Look back down at verse 37 and the later part of it. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Now, this may sound redundant, but all means all. It means that there should be no part of our being 
that is not completely devoted to God. And thus, any way in which we do in which we do not love God, no matter how small, it is sin. And if we are honest with ourselves, then we will acknowledge how far we all fall short of this commandment. I fall short. You fall short. We acknowledge that we don't love God as we ought, nor do we love others as we ought. Whether it is by allowing ourselves to relegate God to a secondary place in our lives and indulging or even acting upon sinful, hateful, lustful, envious, or rebellious thoughts toward others, we must acknowledge, confess, and repent them before God. Much of the grief and sorrow in our lives would be eliminated if we were quicker to acknowledge within ourselves to confess to the Lord and repent of our sin sooner. But praise the Lord that we can always come before the Lord and confess our sins to him. There is no living person who can say that the Lord will not forgive me. We are sure to find forgiveness before him, for he is a loving God. He is love, 1 John 4, 8. And so we should love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. For think of this, even before we ever knew of Jesus Christ, before we ever loved God, and even when we were enemies with God, he loved us. Romans 5, 8 says that, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In a time when we did not love God, when in fact we had hatred towards God, God loved us. There was a time in every Christian's life when we did not love God, and even when we are enemies against God, as verse 10 of Romans 5 shows. The God that we serve is truly amazing and deserves to be loved with every fiber and every ounce of our being. This love should shape our lives, mold our minds, and encourage our hearts to serve God in every way possible. Our love for God should not extend only to the Sabbath day, but it also should extend into our jobs, our hobbies, our relationships with everyone we meet. For the Christian, the extent of our love for God should be boundless. But we must always remember that in our inadequacies, in our falling short, the Lord is merciful. And we should always remember to, to keep the love of God as the primary purpose in our lives. This passage not only shows the primacy and extent of our love for God, but it also shows the importance of our love for God. Look at verse 38. It says, this is the first and great commandment. And then in verse 40, it also says that on this commandment 
And on both of these commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Everything rests on them. It hinges on this one part, on love. And the, the importance of our love for God is, is twofold. And, and the first side is that without love, any obedience to the law is empty. Think of this. First, turn to First John uh, chapter 4, if you would. We read from that a little bit earlier. First John chapter 4. <clears throat> and this chapter is expounding how love should mold our lives. And so I would like to read from verses 7 through 8 which says, Beloved, let us one love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The Pharisees in Jesus' day were obsessed with a very religious observance of the law, but they obeyed the, the letter of the law, if you will, but did not obey the spirit of the law. They had no true love for God. For when you see their actions, it is clear that their faith was empty. And the sad truth here is that there are some within the universal church where the same is true. And I pray that this is true of, of none that hear me today. For if that is true, then you are in danger and you need to get right with the Lord today. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ and pray that he gives you a new heart that desires to love the Lord. But maybe also there is one who is listening, who is, as the hymn writer said, William Cooper, Lord, it is my chief complaint that my love is weak and faint. Yet I love thee and adore, oh, for grace to love thee more. There will be times where this may be true of us, where we feel that our love for God has grown cold. But by God's grace, if we come to him and confess of our need for him, he will fan the flame that is but the size of a candle into that of a roaring furnace. And that furnace of our love for God will serve to motivate us throughout our lives. And so this is the next part of our, the importance of our love for God. Because our love for God should be the driving force for everything that we do. So what is more motivating than love? I would argue that there is nothing more impetuous than true love. As 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love casteth out fear. The love of God is what motivated the martyrs of the faith to withstand torture and, and cruel deaths. It is what drove missionaries to unknown lands and is what should drive us 
to serve God in our day as well. And this is what our day is truly lacking as we look around us, where so many have found that pursuing happiness and comfort supplies little in the way of meaningful purpose, leaving them without hope. I mean, you look at the the evolutionist, and they can come up with no other purpose, another true purpose, leading many to say that there is no purpose in life. Or as common philosophers would say, like John Paul Sartre, a human humanistic philosopher of the 20th century stated, every existing thing is born without reason, prolongs itself out of weakness, and dies by chance. That is what much of the world today is believing. They do not see a meaningful purpose in their lives. But that cannot be further from the truth. They are wrong, but there is a meaningful purpose for each and every one of us in our lives. And it is in loving and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. That gives us purpose in our lives. And it, this purpose is an unending, and it is a glorious purpose. And it is found in loving and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, as I close, I would like to consider the consequence of our love for God. The consequence of our love for God, verse 39 of Matthew 22, says, And the second is like unto it, the second commandment. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Notice firstly that how we love ourselves is assumed and it is equated with how we should love others. The way that we should love others is equal to how we should love ourselves. Please keep in mind that both of these commandments that are given here in Matthew 22 are summations of the first and second tables of the law which detail specific ways in which we are to love God and others. The way we are to love others is to have their best interest in mind and to have an urgent interest in their well-being. And so if any so this is the way that we should love ourselves. That is the way because the our passage shows that it is assumed and it does not deny that we should love ourselves, but the love of God should be primary, primary above that. <clears throat> and so the way that we are to love others and ourselves is to have our well-being in mind, whether that's physical or, or mental and especially spiritual health. When we see someone in need, we will give to them the help that God has given us the ability to administer. We will not do what might hurt others. Now, keep in mind, mind though, that there are times when it might appear to us that what we will say to someone 
may hurt them. But it is often something that they need to hear. There may, might be times when someone is going astray and we might think, well, if I told them that, that they're going to hell, then, then that might hurt them. But keep in mind that if you let, possibly let them continue on that path, then their end road will be hell. And so we must keep their well-being in mind. Know what is good for their well-being. So this, like the love for God, has far-reaching practical effects in how we live. And I would like to highlight just this one practical way. If we truly love others, then we will do what we can, given our opportunities and talents, to give them the word of God. Whether it be a word of rebuke, encouragement, warning of judgment, or of the message of salvation, all are extremely needful. This passage before us today, it should search our hearts. Because as we look at it and as we ponder over it and meditate upon it, we see how far we fall short of God's law. But God is forgiven. And he will enable us to move forward and to continue, continue loving others as we should love ourselves and to love God above all other things. And so today, I would like us all to keep this in our minds and to set this as our primary purpose in life, to love God above all other things, above ourselves, above the world. We must keep this as our driving force in life. And we should let it mold and shape our lives.